Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 364 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Jack Bennett of Oddbug Studio about their combat-orientated Ratfield action-adventure game, Tales of Iron. It's probably the fastest I've ever delivered an introduction to The Sausage Factory, which is a bit strange. Why did I go so fast? Well, because I've got so much to say. This game is amazing, and not enough people are talking about it, in my humble opinion. So here we are, late November, doing that thing. Now, I was so keen, so keen for you to listen to this show that I decided that November would be the double whammy issue of The Sausage Factory. You know, two a week, hence we're releasing one today on a Tuesday at the time of releasing this podcast. If you're listening to it sometime in the future, then, I yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's the, anyway, what is Tales of Iron? Tales of Iron is a... 2D side-scrolling action-adventure game with very, very complex and nuanced combat system with um, a very deep and involving and engrossing, there's a word, overused I know, but it's there, story involving a rat, a prince rat, and the war they have with toads. Yes, it's like, it's like Watership Down, only less harrowing. So... Yeah, let's just listen to me talk to Jack about Tales of Iron. Yeah, let's do that. Chris, take it away. Jack. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? I'm Jack. I am the producer and designer here at Oddbug Studio, uh, and I'm one of the co-founders of the studio as well. Um, Oddbug Studio, in case you don't know, we've been developing games for about eight years now, and we just released Tales of Iron. You have indeed. What a game! Um, Thank you. It's exceptional, really. It's, it's. I was just. It's one of the. You know, discover discovery in Nintendo eShop is nigh on impossible, but your game pops out. <laughs> it's because there's a that. It's because there's a rat with a sword to a frog's throat. <laughs> and it's all it's not green like... and grey and dark and like. Yeah. This is yeah. not Mario. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. not very Nintendo. In, uh, no, in it's that. not. It's not very. Although, don't say that because Nintendo can go dark. We all know that. We've all yeah. played a Zelda, Majora's Mask. There you go. <laughs> hey. So, um, sorry, I love doing that to people. Guys, all happy and shiny. I go Majora's Mask. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's more creepy than dark. Yeah, right? it's creepy. Oh, well, well, it's the it's the darkest you're gonna get from Nintendo. It's the darkest you're gonna get. Um. So. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Well, I mean, I started as a young man by going off to university and went to university when I was like 18 and 
in Norwich in the UK and studied games art and design at Norwich University of the Arts. Uh, from there, in that our final year, we went off to like a competition in Dundee. I don't know if it's still going anymore, but it's called Dare to be Digital. And you get like a month, a month and a half to put together a demo. And then they bring in people from industry to come and like check your games, that sort of thing, give you some feedback. And uh, luckily, like Sony came, Sony XDev. Uh, and they really liked what we'd made and they chatted to us and we went out afterwards and then we showed them Lost Bear, which was our first game and they loved it and they gave us some funding to make a demo. And from there, we uh, we went off into the world of game dev. How did you find the university course? Did you did you think you, you looking back now, was it something you still, there's still aspects of it you draw from or is it something you... Well, I think for me, I mean, there's the classic university makes you into an adult. Like it gives you that whole like managing your time, uh, understanding when you're like most active and getting to know your sort of creative process. It gives you that time to understand how you work as a creative, which is useful. But the the main thing we got from it is all three co-founders of Bug Studio, we met at uni. We worked together at uni. So we basically had the foundations of our studio there. And it was when we left there and we started to get into industry, that's when we met coders that was able to bring our art and design to life and to fruition, basically. So it was very useful to us and it gave us that basic ground in knowledge and game design. Yeah, I think university, regardless of what you read, so it's an English expression, apologies for foreign listeners, it means what you studied. Sorry. <laughs> Um, uh, it's, it's what we say. It's weird, it's very patronising, I think. But anyway, whatever you read at university, um, does it, it changes your way of thinking. Yeah. Whether you're studying astrophysics or indeed history, there's still a, a way of thinking that you are taught and understand. Yeah. Now, it's not brainwashing. I'm not talking about that. It's a way of looking at breaking down very complex ideas into small discrete components and then you yeah. can actually understand them. That's something that's taught at higher education. I never yeah. understood further no, or at school. It's never taught at all because it doesn't work. You're not, you can't really comprehend that way of looking at things. It's only until you reach sort of early adulthood that you can actually understand that way of working. It's and very I think powerful. It all, it's very powerful. It, it pushes that idea of almost critical thinking as well. Like yeah. not just absorbing anything that's chucked at you and actually kind of thinking about what you're learning about and responding to that rather than just answering, getting, learning something to answer a question on a test, basically. Yeah, it's not just a, a knowledge regurgitation. It doesn't yeah, work. Exactly. It doesn't work. Um, it is in your A-levels, but not... <laughs> uh, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't yeah. be. A-levels is meant to be a gateway into... But unfortunately, it does... But you know, they give you subtle hints that like, actually that's how you should be thinking, but they can't really they can't infuse that into a seventeen year old because they're too busy going, Oh god you know. So. And I think it's the schools are just too scared to not have a good quality passing grade because yeah. they want want people coming to their schools. So yeah. there it is. And I, I'm speaking to someone to the last generation who did O level, so that was a whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> I don't want to go into that. No one talks about that, like what? Yeah, oh, it was bad. You think it's, if you think it's elitist now, oh, wow. Anyway, I lived through that. So, third question. This is known as the dreaded third question in the show because it's a bit nebulous. But it's something I love to ask creatives because it's something they may not have actually expanded on too much, maybe not thought about too much, but it's something that exists. And that is this. You are a creative things. And you can answer this question as your representative of your studio or indeed personally. Or both. I don't mind. But what do you believe are your biggest influences as a creator? I mean, it's an easy answer. But personally, as a game designer and as a game studio, it's got mm. to be video games. It's got to be... <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be like the things around you that the, the media that I interact with probably the most on the most regular basis they're the media that I will cover the most diverge range diversive diversive range of genres so it, it would be the thing that I get the most different inputs from in a creative process so I definitely say video games but other than that it's obviously movies and books but also I'm a, a strong believer in your environment. So a lot of politics, a lot of the news, basically understanding what's going on around in you, around you, because that is something that is innately pressuring on you. So yeah, mm. 
I can see that in Tales of Iron, actually. Definitely. It's like Animal Farm, you know. That's an allegory of, you know, all sorts of It's almost how a monarchy should work. Yeah. All the people. Yeah. Really quite, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely and all that stuff. It's just a trite phrase that really doesn't encompass really the problem that we're trying to face. Um, but no, that's a fantastic response. You did build up like, yes, I'm a video games, granted. And then you realise that, oh, actually, no. It's also films I watch, of books I've read and articles I've read and papers I've maybe written. Everything mm. is just like, you know, even your own creative endeavours go, yeah, that was interesting. What was I like? You know, and that's, we've all been there like, oh, what was I I, I think doing? that goes, especially with you going back to university, especially with an art yeah. university, that's something that you learn. Like you are looking at, your, you're criticising each other's work. You're looking at your peers' work. You're understanding how you can get better from their feedback. So it's definitely what you're consuming around you and those closest to you. So yeah, 100%. Yeah, and uh, but also the thing you don't really learn at university, they try to explain it, but the concept of good enough, it's something that raises its ugly head in this show a lot. And it's an awful phrase, and I've said it before, sorry regular listeners, but it's something that's coming up recently a lot on these interviews, is the idea of like, there's no such thing as perfection. That's an enemy. It's an absolute enemy. Yeah. And you really shouldn't be pursuing it. You should be pursuing something that you're trying to deliver something here. Is this sufficient? Again, a terrible word. English. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll do. Have you half baked it? It'll be all right. That'll do. Yeah. No, it's not that'll do. It's not that'll be all right. It's this is what's required. Yeah. It's not a minimum, but it's what's required. The flip side of that as well is that if you work on something for too long and too much, you overcook it and you push it too far and it's too convoluted or too complicated. So yeah. I think the idea of good enough is uh, a good a good yeah. phrase, but also a bad phrase. <laughs> We're looking at you, Star Citizen. Don't respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's uh, another thing. Anyway, I was about to say something. It's probably slanderous, but I won't do that. Um, so uh, next question. This one's also a bit tough. Um, I thought, right, it's like a mini boss, this, this, this podcast. It's like, it's a, you know. So wraps up. Yeah, there's a, a mini boss. It's like side quest boss. Hey, see what I did there? Uh, you got a fight. Um, and here we go. And you can answer this multiple answers. I won't hold you to one answer. And also it can be a group or a single individual. I don't mind. So it's a bit of a clue as to what the question is. But it is this: What game developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Okay, so a couple of answers. Mm-hmm. First one is obviously Sugar and Miyamoto is obviously the easy answer. It's the default almost, isn't it? <laughs> but I, I'd say him just because obviously he, he laid that groundwork for so many genres. He laid that groundwork groundwork for the industry as a whole. Uh, obviously creating icons, Mario, the Link and yeah. Donkey Kong and just creating these characters that have worlds. Jump that man, are... who the new <laughs> jump man? Exactly, but he, he took that character and expanded on it. He gave oh, it, a so you know. But I'd say um, also Peter Molyneux. I know he is known for over overegging and overworking, like you're saying. But I think he, with his games, he brings like a, especially obviously with the Fable franchise, he brings a unique charm to them that not a lot of games have. That that especially being British, that sort of unique British quirk that a lot of his games have, going back to Black and White and Dungeon Master and uh, Fable, they've all got that sort of hilarity, but also that overbearing sadness that, that is British. Yeah, even Populous was a bit grim <laughs> yeah. when yeah. you set fire to the the other, you know, you sieged another castle and they come out and stomp on everyone. It's grim. <laughs> well it's the same with black and white you like you can slap around this like 100 foot chimpanzee if you really wanted to like oh, i never did that no i was too i, was too, I couldn't do it couldn't do it. i like to, i like to play as the good guy so i didn't do that but yeah. the fact that he allowed that to happen just shows you that he's got that sort of like grim side to it so i do quite i do like his and i i think i'd like i liked lionhead as a developer as a whole really they mm. were quite okay but yeah, I think they were my my main ones. I did. I like what Ubisoft are doing as well with their UBR engine and the, U, the the art side. Not so much the Assassin's Creed. That's not. I used to like them, but they're they're just 
got too much for me but uh, i like like what they did with the like rayman their artwork is amazing even if the game's not great what they're pushing for like this indie or triple i which i hate that sort of feeling to games <laughs> yeah i um i did finish valhalla i've actually had to interview them on the on wow. the show uh 142 hours that was yeah wow. you're right it was it was because i actually got both consoles when they were launched because i have to because of the job sorry yeah. uh and the xbox series x was tested with valhalla so i thought it'd be perfect game to test it to her and it was great problem is you know there's issues with animation the scenery is exquisite but the characters are all walking mannequins very strange <laughs> ubisoft god it's basically they can't do hands you know it's just so awful it's such I, a shame. I, I really loved valhalla i played it i yeah. enjoyed the first 30 hours yeah and then and it was like and here's going to like see the gods and that it's like what there's a whole other map here? yeah 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 <laughs> i can appreciate the amount of pure strength and willpower it must have been to make that game just but astonishing. i just did not have 150 hours to put into it I just no and it, you know, that's not an exaggeration what you just said that wasn't plugged in. no i just told you 142 hours like yeah that's yeah. right Chris. Yeah. i haven't played the dlc i just and i'm done <laughs> Towards the end, I was so overpowered that I was just steamrolling everything as well. It just stopped being challenging. Yeah. Apparently, the DLC fixes that and everything's readjusted, but it's just... Anyway, no, it's a really good roster of, of games. And Rayman doesn't age well. It looks pretty. plays like a... Not good. Not good. Yeah, well, I, I just like the fact that they're, they that with that art side, they're pushing 2D as well, which mm. is... They're a big studio pushing 2D, which I, I really like. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Oh, and that reminds me as well, talking to you, Play Dead. I think Play Dead makes some of the best games that have been made in the lot in recent years with Limbo and Inside. Just the way that they tell their narrative with no words, just through environmental storytelling. I, I, I love that. Wow, Play Dead mentioned again in another episode <laughs> after the last one. That's amazing. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's they they are often cited along with uh, Supergiant. They're, 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 those two yeah. are often brought up. Oh, yeah, they're great, and they've been on the show too. Not played no. it unfortunately, but because um, uh, they currently are apparently. Um, hey, see, um, but uh, no, I haven't made this something in a while. But uh, no, but Supergiant have been on twice, so yeah, that's really nice. Um, so last question of the first half. I know, all good things. We got you know you made it. I should say. Um, and we've got to ask this question because it's a podcast about video games so I've got to ask it here we go what are you playing right now uh, right so I've been playing the team plays at lunchtime we play Pokemon Unite <laughs> which is not the greatest of games but it is quite a nice team bonding exercise that we play at lunchtime we've all got our roles and it's... Here's me expecting, like, I don't know, oh, yeah, we have a team, we all get together and play Dota. That's normally what you hear. I was, I was gearing up for, oh, we go, we're going to start talking about MOBAs. No. no. <laughs> no like, I don't play those games at all. It's just that my, like, my Switch is literally there from playing yeah. it at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a quick, we could jump into it, we can load it up on our Switch, we all play easy, yeah, easy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Other things I'm playing on my Switch, I really love Kingdoms 2 Crowns from Raw Fury. I really like that game. So simple, Such elegant a great art game. Style. Again, been on the show, um, yeah. but yeah, what you what you see it and go, oh, is this like an adventure game? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> wouldn't be able yeah. to describe it. No, it's like it's, a space building game, I guess. It's, is that it's, it? it's a tower defense game. Yeah, <laughs> strategic. <laughs> Generally, but it's also these... like an adventure game because you go yeah. to island, to island, and you have to yeah. expand and you build your fort. It's just bonkers. Yeah, I, I I really like that for its simplicity, and similar to that as well. I like Bad North as well. That's oh, really, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's really similar sort of game, but takes it in a different direction like that. Um, and then other than that, I've been messing around. I go back to for the wild every now and then i was playing out of wilds a little bit um yes the dlc I, come out isn't it Outer yeah, wilds. have you finished out of wilds or no, no uh, i don't like i keep starting these games it's right like, i've like, probably heard many people say you, you, you need to really it's, yeah, it's one of those you need to 
characters because yeah. it it asks very difficult questions and comes up with answers. Yeah. That's right. not usual. Most games have got a hint at this, but they face it head on and go, this this question that a lot of people ask but don't have an answer to, we've got one. It might not be right, but it's definitely an answer. And right at the end of it, you just sit there going, and one of those ones where you have to put the controller down and stare at the screen, watching the credits roll, going, what did I just see? Yeah. It was my well, game of the year, not last year. That was Alex um, in um, Half-Life, Half-Life Alex. That was my yeah. game of the year 2020 because it is stunning. Uh, it's so so annoying that so few people can play that game. So annoying. Yeah. But yeah. And then before that was Outer Wilds in 2019. Yeah. Well, three of the team have bought Oculuses just so they can play Alex. <laughs> and now they're like, well, I can play other stuff now, I guess. No, no, exactly. So when you finish the game, you got it out the door. No, you've got some after-sales stuff. You've got some bug fixing to do. That's the standard. <laughs> but, you know, at least the bulk of the work is out there and people are enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, you now go, oh, great, I can finally get round to, insert game here, uh, <laughs> finally finish off destroying the creatures in Stellaris. And, yeah, finally. <laughs> and then, I, I guess in my backlog, I've got Eastward, which unfortunately I haven't been able to start yet, but I really mm-hmm. want to play that. And I want to go back and play Mass Effect too. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. The first yeah, one ain't, hasn't held up. It's very clunky. It's very yeah. clunky. Yeah, well, Mass Effect 2 was like when I was a teenager, I loved it. Right. It was like decision making, different outcomes, characters could die. What is this game? I love it. No. I, I see it all before because Kotor, Knights of the Old Republic. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like that, only not Star Wars. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for me, I've got to finish off Deathloop. I need to finish that. So, so yeah. I need to finish that one. But I'm not, you know. Keep get distracted by games like Tales of Iron. <laughs> well, that's the thing. September was an insane month for game releases. Like, just, literally. What? Just, what? <laughs> Video game industry, stop it. Stop with the Q4 nonsense. Just stop it. Please. Yeah, it, it, there was Deathloop. There was Eastwood. There was Skatebird. There was Us. There was Toem. It was just insane. It's just, what are you thinking? Like, stop it. There are other months of the other quarters of the year. This is the fourth one. There's three others. Yeah, there are. Okay, granted Q1, no one goes there unless you're Bayonetta. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. Anyway, let's move on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep in the Tales of Iron. So, first question, Jack, isn't a question. It's known as the Zeroth question, which is granted is a bit of an Asimov reference. But, uh, so you got that, cool. Uh, <laughs> but the question, the request is this. In your own words, good luck with this. I don't know how you're going to do it. What is Tales of Iron? So, the easiest way for me to describe this, the yeah. elevator pitch, I always say, is Red Wall meets The Witcher. That's my easy in to what the game is. But in long form, yes. it's a 2D side-scrolling, Souls-like RPG about Prince Reggie, the rat, uh, and his war against the frogs, basically. Basically, the, the rats in our world of Tales of Iron, the rats and the frogs have been at war for centuries until Reggie's father brings peace to the kingdoms by pushing the frogs back to the swamps. And then in Tales of Iron, the, the frogs reignite that war and come into your kingdom and destroy everything and it's up to Reggie to save his brothers and rebuild his kingdom so that obviously involves a, a lot of combat so we've got this really simple but quite difficult 
combat system in which you're like having to react to enemy encounters and the way they attack you, you have to respond in a certain way. So you get into this really nice flowing rhythm of combat. And then that's all wrapped up in this sort of epic 2D cartoony storybook art style. Absolutely. Now, just uh, I'm going to address a certain uh, group of uh, generation. I'm going to address a Generation X now. So bear with me. He, just to be clear, it's Reggie, not Roland. Right? Just want to make <laughs> yeah. sure. Right? Yeah. It's Reggie, yeah. not Roland. And there's no gopher anywhere nearby. Where is he? Isn't it's, there's no gophers. Called Kevin. No, no. <laughs> and it is not the clangers, although they really sound like them. <laughs> There is similarity <laughs> between the two. There's no space. There's no, they're not in space. There's no soup dragon. It's that's not. That's also a band. But you know, anyway, it's not. It's not there. Okay. Because so you know, I just want to make sure that fellow Generation X people realise that. How oh, well, is this? No, it's not. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if that's what goes on underneath the surface of yeah. the moon? But it really isn't. Sorry, to, don't remember any frogs or even need murderous frogs. In clangers, right? Right, good. There's probably a little clanger story that was going on in that world of Tales of Iron, yes. they, 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 they left the planet and now it's, yeah. it's, it's a whole, you know, they're a bit of DLC for you. Yeah. Hey, hey, in a medieval rocket. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> the, the, the moles build a rocket and off you go, and they go off. Yeah. I like it because they're quite, you know, technically advanced, but. Uh, no, it's an exquisite. I just uh, what what a game! I played this on 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 the PC. I play a lot of games on the PC because I can, because uh, I've got a little link box, so I can actually play PC games on my big telly in my living room. Um, oh. So, um, which is not everyone can do it, but if you've got a wired connection, it's amazing. So um, I I do actually still do that. Oh, it doesn't do it 4K, which is sad. Anyway. That be that as it may, it doesn't matter what platform we play. We'll talk about what platforms is out on. It's pretty much almost everything, but we'll talk about it later. Um, first question then. This comes from a place where I played a lot of MMOs, a lot of MMOs, right back from late 1990s when EverQuest was a thing, and even before that, it was Meridian 59. And these been these been you know been playing it for decades and of course World of Warcraft. One of the things about World of Warcraft is the end game. The end game has you 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 abandon all your stats because you can't increase those because you've reached maximum level and it's still the case today. Um, and uh, it's only your equipment now. Your equipment is all about where you get your stats. It's how you increase your stats because you can't boost them any other way. Whereas in Tales of Iron, that seems to be. The primary, not the only, but the primary way in which one you do improve oneself. Why is this? Why did you go this way? So there was a couple of reasons. Firstly, we like our games to feel grounded and real. So obviously in a lot of games you get these like sprawling spider webs of upgrades that increase your speed two percent and path of exile yeah we know that yeah yeah (laughs) but from our point of view it's like but why why is why is reggie suddenly getting faster why is reggie suddenly getting more ability to dodge a further distance like it just doesn't make sense in a realistic world where we want the combat to feel real and weighted and grounded that he suddenly has two percent more speed it's just not something we like <laughs> so that that was one side to it the other side to it being that in our games we try and remove as much text as possible we want it to feel like you can understand the game without any text because then anyone of any language of any reading ability can kind of understand what's going on and get involved in it and as soon as you introduce these massive sprawling spider webs you need to understand in minute details what's going on here and what's going on here and what's going on here and to us that's not the fun bit that like stand sitting in a ui and dealing with that is not the fun bit the fun bit is advancing the story doing really well in an encounter finding new armor all of these rewarding effects actually are like the bits that we want that's what we want to be playing that's what we want to make so sitting in a ui was just not something that excited us so that was why we didn't want to include that in there and then that allows us to completely focus our development time on making the combat feel as good as possible really polishing animations really increasing the pushing making as many levels as we can possibly do you know so it's that time management as well 
Yeah, it reminds me, one of the reasons I love Diablo, the first one, I know they re-released the second one, but that's a discussion for another time, because have they? I don't know. Um, and um, a friend of mine said at the time, said, you do realise that Diablo is basically the quest for truth, justice, and better stuff. <laughs> Not in that order. It's better stuff, and just so it happens, in order to get that better stuff, the truth and justice stuff happens anyway. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that's at all the case with Tales of Iron, but I just love the fact that I'm not staring at a spreadsheet. Yeah, you know, that's, ultimately that's what a big spider web of like you know triggers. And who wants to? I mean, yes, sometimes I do like it. Depends on the context of the game, and I don't have anything against Path of Oxo. I think it's a great game, but it's just it's renowned for that ridiculous skill tree. And indeed, yeah. we were talking about Valhalla earlier. That also has a ridiculous <laughs> skill tree, uh, which eventually I did actually fill out with all my 140 plus hours, and it gets to the point where I could no longer feed points into it. And all it did was like, oh, you're just mastering things now. It became <laughs> like, oh, you've got master points now. Master points. Yeah. What yeah. are those? Don't know. <laughs> so, you know, I was just pouring all this stuff into the game. And yeah. you're right. It's, this, it's much more. The, I've got much. The, 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 the feedback I've got from getting a new piece of armor and wearing it and seeing my character wear it, going, that's amazing. You know, and um, yeah. it's, it's, that's it's like. Go on. It's like you were saying, it just breaks that immersion. As yeah. soon as you're, even in our game, as soon as you open the book and you're in a UI, it's like, I've forgotten everything that's happening in the world because now I'm focused on this bar needs to move up here slightly. And this, this. So we just, we want to be, keep you immersed in that world as much as possible. So the amount we can reduce you in UIs is a godsend for us. You can't get away from the min-maxing because that's just the nature of RPGs. People yeah. are going to do that. I did it when I played Dragon Quest XI. Unfortunately, I got got to the point where towards the end, the game was playing itself. I mean, yeah. even the final boss battle, I do remember getting up and making a cup of tea <laughs> and waiting for it to end. I was standing there going, have you, have you done it yet? Oh, come on, just get on with it. I wasn't even doing anything. It was just wait because the the characters were just so overpowered because I yeah. I grokked the whole system so quickly yeah. and so easily, uh, and that can be a problem. I don't think it really happened with me with Tales of Iron though. It can't it can't no. because of the nature of the game, which leads me on to my next question. We've spoken about the combat. We need to delve into this, my friend. The reading of the state of the enemy and where they are in relation to you is really vital in the success of combat in Tales of Iron. Absolutely vital. Yeah. How have you found designing these engagements with each enemy in each environment? Because it is a 2D environment. There is a little bit of vertical and horizontal movement, but not much. It's typically a set piece. And this is your this is your environment. This is all you've got. This is all you, you've got you, your wits, your ability to move a little bit quicker than the other one. Maybe not. Depends on the enemy you're facing. Yeah. But um, how have you found designing that, knowing that the character eventually the player must have an edge otherwise they are just going to bounce off the game we've all done it right we've played a certain game and like whether it's you know um uh well we said bayonetta that you can bounce off that or you know devil may cry games you can they, they can suffer from this too where it's like this is just impossible it's just awful sort of you don't want that you don't want to be too entrenched yet by the same time you still want to have that challenge you still want a sense of reward and that you know endorphin sort of thing like especially when you take out a boss and you just nail them <laughs> yeah. so, tell us I mean, about how that design process was the, the engagement design regardless whether it's a small fry or a big yeah. beast what have you done so, that that was the thing was like we wanted to have that sort of souls like feeling we want like you say that challenge that you have to overcome and then you get that sense of a dolphin's like yes i've smashed this boss or this this small fry so we wanted that challenge but one of the big uh, disadvantages to having a Souls-like game is if people don't get it, they like I say they just bounce off. They're just like, well, I'm done with this. It's too hard. I don't get it. I can't read the attacks. I don't know what's going on. So we actually got the idea for this sort of thing from God of War. Uh, the new God of War has those different attack indicators over them. Obviously, they're in a 3D. So we was like, maybe we can add that accessibility to the genre with these indicators, which will allow people to have a better understanding of what the enemy's doing. But then as we implemented that, we started to realize that that allowed for these really nice flowing moments. Like you, you know what's coming, so you're able to 
plan ahead even if that's just a few seconds ahead you're able to plan and understand what's going to happen so you can go from a parry to dodge rolling to then straight into an attack and that almost gave it this sort of this sense of like a rhythm game almost like you're like dodging from one side to the other and you're trying to keep in this flow of combat and then because we had this nice fluid movement between enemies that led straight into us being like well it'll be wonderful if this paid off with like brutal executions like that led directly into that sense of design that that payoff the combat can also be the payoff it doesn't have to be that you're picking the same cup seeing a frog speared through the head with a spear is just as much a reward or seeing guts fall out is just as much a reward because it works really well with our art style again is that we've got this cutesy 2d exterior but as soon as you start playing it you're like wow i was not expecting this no so that- it is it is really like i said dark clangers you know <laughs> yeah. what what if, what if the bbc did go this place it wouldn't be able to broadcast it ever but you know that's why i'm sorry mate i just it, when i got really frustrated in some aspects i'm sorry it's just the nature of the game it's like because yeah. i was frustrated myself not with the game can't stress that enough i just the only thing the re- reprieve i had was like what would clangers do <laughs> <laughs> Probably make some soup for the dragon or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Give up and just go yeah. home. But no, I think you're right. Rather than having numbers appear above heads, which there's a place for that, don't get me yeah. wrong. But, you know, if you want to do that, play Borderlands and stuff, that's fine. But, <laughs> you know, for this, it's definitely, you know, the sense of when I really nailed it and nailed it repeatedly, mm. you know, it doesn't matter who the what the enemy is. That's what I love about Tales of Iron is the fact it doesn't matter whether it's just a... A small fry thing. There is no small fry things. Everything can kill you. <laughs> Everything. Um, yeah. And uh, and the different sort of uh, areas and the, the environments. It's just that sense of reward uh, is, is is in itself. That's enough. Uh, and like I said, you really the finishing move. Brilliant idea of doing finishing moves yeah. for for bosses. No, I'm not going to say oh it's the same as Mortal Kombat. No, that's a little bit trite. <laughs> no offense to Mortal for Combat fans, please, but in comparison, this is more about C gotcha. I mean <laughs> I streamed Hellpoint early on in the year, which is a Souls like sort of three D game set in the dark, dark, dark future where very, very, very bad things have happened. And um that was very similar to in uh, got similar emotions like I know I can kill this boss, I just need to focus on how I'm doing it. It's a very different game, very different experience, and it's a very hard, hard sci-fi game. So the 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 the, the language and the tone is utterly different. But there's yeah. a there's a there's a vein of similarity, not that much, but there's definitely a vein. I've got some. There's a feedback loop from me from both, and, and there wasn't an unpleasant experience because I did finish um, uh, Hellpoint. It was quite a quite a trial, but I managed to do it. And uh, and I did stream it, so I was quite happy about that. But uh, yeah, and the, for, for the, the Tales of Iron, similar sort of experience, which leads me on to my next my next question. Um, sense of progression in Tales of Iron isn't about my numbers and leveling up. No, no, no. It's about how far along you are on the story arc. That's what it's about. It's about how successful are you as a king to be. That is what Reg, not Roland, is trying to achieve. Sorry, mate, I couldn't help. <laughs> um, what he's trying to do is he's going to be king. He's the king to be, but he can't be until he real until he got a kingdom to be a king of. He hasn't got one. It's been ransacked by by toads. How very dare they? Not from Toad Hall. He was a fop. So, <laughs> oh god. Um, so. Um, the, the, the sense of progression is based on the story and, and, and the player, rather than their abilities and the numbers going up and going up. That's, that's a clicker. And I think you've answered this question already, but I want to expand on how have you found design in the game anchored around the concept that, no, you need to know the next chapter of this story. That is progress. It's very brave because a lot of games don't like doing this. They don't like placing... It's absurd that they don't do it. But they don't pl- placing the story front and centre like this. They all, it's like a bolt-on. Now, thankfully, we live in a time where the last 10 years where that's been done away with. Thanks, gone home. Thank you. Thank you to make story the most important part. You know, everyone's gone to the rapture. Like, yes, that's, that's a game that's just, that's all it is. Yeah, so yeah. 
Uh, how have you found always going, making sure that that's the anchor? How have you found that when you're designing the game? And that's the thing. Like with our games, we always put story first. Like even with Lost Bear, it was all about story. We like to tell our stories without words, like I was saying. So we like our stories to feel almost like a fairy tale, like a storybook. Or we normally say like a Grimm's fairy tale because we're like the dark Eastern European version of a fairy tale rather than Disney fairy tales. So that's like our main focus. That's our main drive is to be story driven through our games because we want to tell stories. We want people, we like building worlds. We like people to get immersed in those worlds. So you, there's a little point in having this cohesive world if you're not going to tell stories about the characters in it. So that was something that we really focused on. And, and we, we saw it as something unique, like within that soul genre. Most when you play Dark Souls or Hollow Knight or Sword and Sanctuary, all amazing games. But they're all very much about exploring the world, very narrative driven through their environmental storytelling, but there's no like actual story running through it. So that was something we felt we could do uh, different to everyone else that would also fit into our story and act as our, like you say, our progression through the game. So that was something we really wanted to focus on. And it gave people, like you say, a drive. People want to know about how cute little Reggie's going to overcome the big green toad because he doesn't seem like he's going to be able to. So it's really and and because of that, we're we're able to have fun with the development. Like you mentioned earlier, the moles. Like nobody's expecting that because we're story driven. We can throw in these little like, here's some communist Russian underground moles that <laughs> got electricity and cars and things. Like we can just have fun with it and play with play with people's emotions. So that's really yeah. Amazing. I mean, when I saw that, I think, oh wow, it's Metro twenty thirty three. There you go. Stalker. <laughs> a stalker, yeah, you know. Um, so there's nothing. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I reveled in that, and that's you know the, the Animal Farm references. It's great. <laughs> you can't help. It's not that sort of okay. Who's e- some people more equal than others? Yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank exactly. You. <laughs> so um, I can't. I had about twelve or thirteen questions. Uh, for 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 you, but I always have to narrow it down. Otherwise, the show will go on for hours, and you're a busy man, as am I. And also, the people <laughs> listening don't want us to draw on for for that long. This isn't giant bomb or insert long. Oh, my brother and brother and me, my bum bum. It's not not that kind of show. If you want that kind of show, knock yourself out. That's fine. Not here. Um, so the last question is this: It's really about the sound and visuals, because it's quite often sadly that they don't actually complement each other in games i wish it wasn't so but there are times when one drowns out the other somehow you haven't done that with this the sound and visuals are complementary it's incredible how have you managed to do this what did you do what was the the thing that drove you to make sure that there was they both are complementary to each other one enhances the other it's very impressive yeah so one of with audio one of our main drives is that again in all our games we like our music to be diegetic so there's a reason there's music there you can physically see someone playing that music or something playing that music so that that in our minds grounds it in the world you know that makes the world feel real and it makes the music seem like it should be there so that allows us to easily plan out where music's going to be because we know that this is a big scene where there's actually a flutist in the background or there's a guy with a violin or there's a, <laughs> there's a drummer frog in, in combat or there's a mole with a backpack you know it gives us this reason to have it there but it also adds character to the world it gives story because you as soon as you see this mole that's booming electronica out of his, <laughs> out of his backpack you're like what <laughs> what's going on like how yeah. is it so we definitely can complement the story in that way uh, and then in terms of the uh the actual sound effects like we were talking about with with the clangers and the and the the npc vo um that was just through trial and error really like initially we had rat squeaks but having rat squeaks over a seven hour game is incredibly annoying they only <laughs> squeak annoying. for that because they're in distress i mean that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. i mean exactly. it's like you know cats evolved apparently to make sounds to to interact with humans because we wouldn't, yeah. you know, that's why their, their, t- their tone apparently is the same as a baby crying because it's annoying. 
Yeah. Uh, that's the point, apparently. I'm not sure if that's true. It probably isn't, actually. But so, the point is, yeah, it is annoying. And uh, yeah. you, But the flutes aren't. The clangers weren't annoying. They were yeah. just weird, like bagpipes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we we kind of went down that route because it gave kept the characters charm and a quirkiness to them, yeah. and removed that awkwardness of the the squeak. So that was quite nice. Uh, and then in terms of mixing those together, it was Francesco he did an amazing job. He's the sound designer on it, and he just nailed it with the balancing basically throughout the game. It's just amazing how even the the you know the rain because there's rain. <laughs> and the constant mud and the squelching and the constant drudgery of like, when will this end? It, you, know, <laughs> you get smatterings of sunlight every now and again, but ultimately, most usually it's the some giant frog about carrying a massive lamp. <laughs> well, he, twat you one. <laughs> Francesco, Francesco went to like insane levels of detail with it. Like the sounds that Reggie's footprints actually make changes depending on how heavy you are. So if you're wearing a heavy armor, like. He'll make he'll make more clunky sounds as he's riding around, or if you're wearing a light armor, it's just the footprints in the mud. So yeah, there's yeah. like so many so many levels of detail to it that you just don't notice when you're playing through that make the world feel real and grounded. So yeah, he did a great yeah. job. I mean, you mentioned about how armor impacts your movement and stuff. I wanted to go into the detail of that, but I want the I want the players to discover that for themselves. And it was one of my questions I had to dump uh, <laughs> because I had to focus on this uh, this one, you know. And uh, but yeah, it's it's so Tales of Iron. It's uh, developed by Odd Bug Studio. Great name. <laughs> Where's it come from? Come on, out with it. Was it three, was it a three a.m. job? Like that's a bit wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was. We had the odd because we're all strange. Like gotcha. to be a game developer, you've got to be an odd person. You yeah, just not yeah. be a normal person. I mean, person. it's a profession you can never quite explain to your parents. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just one of those professions where you've got to enjoy pain. Yes. And a pain that nobody yeah. else can understand. No. No, I understand. I completely relate. Yeah, yeah. Going out and trying to explain to your mates at the pub that you can't get this one character to do a certain thing that you needed to do yeah. makes you sound insane. So it does, know. yeah. It just got blinking like okay. <laughs> I, I just had to deal with this report from you know, I had to get out for okay, and you're you're talking about a giant frog that couldn't punch yeah. someone in the face right. Yeah. <sighs> We've all got our goals. You know, you get that, don't you? You get that. We've all got our goals, don't we? Eh? We've all got our aims in life. That's exactly. yours. And then so you that, know that the conversation's over. <laughs> that's where the odd comes from. Yeah. And then, obviously, when we first started making games, we didn't, it was just buggy. We had, like, yeah. bugs. So yeah. put those two together, odd bug. Odd bug. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's your bug here and there. I hate it when people sort of try and play it down. No, we've got some tweaks. Never use that word in relation to video games. There's such a thing as tweaking. There isn't. Tweaking is a 3am to the morning fix. Yeah, there's a fix. Like, oh, I just changed this thing. What? I just, I just changed the colour of the sword hilt to, to dark green. But now that's going to happen to all the other swords. Is it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> or when you saved it, you changed the resolution of the sprite sheet. So now yeah, it's all yeah. the tiny. There goes all the assets. There, yeah. there you go. You start crying. Have you got a backup? Backup? Oh, please. No, yeah. no, you're legally obliged to have backups, otherwise you go and get insured. I understand that. Sorry. <laughs> bit, 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 bit grey for you there. Anyway, and it's published by, I've got the, this is from the wiki, so forgive me, but I've got United Label and is it CI Games? Yep, right? so United, United Label is our publisher, and then CI Games owns United Label. So. Ah, there you go, there you go. And uh, now, I don't want to get this wrong, because I got into trouble once, about the platform. So rather than me get it wrong, and then have the have get pulled aside by the PR and go, could you edit that, please? Because this happened, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit. Could you list out the platforms that Tales of Iron are out, is out on, please? So it is on Nintendo Switch, both Xboxes, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and Steam. The so Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, so it's Windows PC, right? Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've got a Mac lap, laptop, uh, so I have to... You know, also, I've got Linux people yelling at me. So yeah. I always find it amusing when I say platform, and they go, Steam, like, no, 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 no. What's it run on? <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Uh, 
It's yeah, it's Windows. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for clarifying that, so I don't have to edit it out. See, Jack said it, not me. So, but yeah, yeah I've, I have all of those because of you know the job. I have to have all of the things. Uh, I mean, I actually put a hard disk in my you know, PlayStation Five. That was tortuous. It shouldn't have been, yeah. but popping off the shield thing, the flap things, it makes a pop sound when you do it. Like, Am I breaking this? Or? Yeah, am I breaking this <laughs> console that no one can buy? Yeah. Anyway, Jack, it's been fantastic having you on the show. You've been a fantastic guest. I, I have enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun talking. It's been interesting. Yeah, I um, hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And um, you're more than welcome to come back because we've had repeat guests, as I said before, in the virtual green room. And... Um, yeah, to chat about whatever. Probably in two or three years. Don't worry, we will be here. We'll be here. Don't worry, we'll be still here. Uh, it'll probably be three or four years from now, but it'll be fine. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website cane and rinse.com